The day, of course, started with the latest inflation figures. Inflation up to 6.2%, although if you look at the retail price index, it's actually 8.2%. And without doubt, we're headed quite rapidly towards double figures. On to 12.30, and Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, got up in the House of Commons to deliver his spring statement, his tax plan. I've got to tell you, these guys are very good at self-marketing. It says, my vision for a lower tax economy. Well, that sounds terrific, doesn't it? And the good news was that the national insurance threshold has risen by £3,000. That will take some of the lowest paid workers. Probably that's going to save them up to £300. But the 1.25% increase in national insurance, that of course stayed. And remember, that is not just for employees, it's for employers as well. There's a 5p cut of a litre of fuel. Well, that's a marginal relief until you realise that since the start of this crisis, the VAT on a litre has gone up by 7p. So I don't think really anyone's going to feel particularly better off. And what he's hiding with all of this is actually in the pipeline are a series of tax rises. The tax burden is going up over the next few years, but he kind of tried to distract us with that by promising us one penny off the basic rate of income tax in 2024. Uh, and no doubt that will become a general election issue, whether that election takes place in 23 or indeed in 2024. My biggest disappointment was I don't think he really acknowledges just how serious the cost of living crisis is going to be. Um, and on the same day that all this was being delivered by Rishi Sunak, Mr Putin announced that if you want to buy Russian gas, you must now do so in rubles. And at one point, European natural gas had risen 34% today. Last time I looked, it was up about 20% on the day. So what I'm saying actually is global movements in energy prices dwarf anything that really came from this spring statement today. But perhaps my biggest disappointment is, I think to put a tax on employers at this moment in time is really the wrong thing to do. And I don't see anything that really points to an understanding of how important it is to get growth and investment in the British economy. And looking, looking at what's going to happen to business taxes over the course of the next few years, where the government's take of a variety of business taxes is likely to rise by as much as 50% by 2027. Uh, I think this is a Conservative Party that's lost its way when it comes to business and entrepreneurship. So the question is, I'm asking you a question. Marks out of 10, give me please your marks out of 10 for Rishi Sunak's spring statement and how you feel about it. You can let me know, farage at gbnews.uk. And don't just put seven, please give me, give me some reasons as to why. I'm going to give him a four out of 10. Uh, it's only four because you know, he's actually harmonised the level at which we start paying income tax with national insurance, which is a simplification which I think we need. Well, watching all of this was Nigel Nelson, political editor of the Sunday Mirror. Nigel, how was this, this received in the House of Commons? 
uh, by the Tories very well, in fairness, that they quite, they, they quite like this. Um, many of the things in here were what we'd expected all along. So Everything leaks, doesn't it? Well, it wasn't much le leaking, it's actually <laughs> guesswork. Surprisingly, this was the, the first mini-budget I've come across which hasn't been leaked. Okay. Um, so a lot of it was guesswork. So the 5p thing seemed a bit of an obvious thing to do. He was obviously going to do something about national insurance yep. and certainly he'd signalled he wasn't going to scrap it. I think he should have done, but he decided not to do that. So on the Tory benches, yep, they quite liked it. They like a Chancellor who's already given away £400 billion anyway, so uh, chances of give away money are always popular. Going down the line when he has to start raising it, it's going to be a bit more tricky. Labour was, Labour not so much. They weren't so happy with it. Um, their big thing at the moment is a windfall tax on North Sea oil and yeah. gas. Um, that's how they would have done it. They would have then postponed the national insurance increase. Um, so they didn't, they didn't really like it. And things like the, the 5p cut, for instance, in petrol, all that's done is brought us back to last week because it's risen by 5p yeah. and our neighbours, Our neighbours like Ireland have cut by about 17p that's a right. litre. Yes, I mean, all over Europe they've been cutting it. Sweden's cut it, yep. France has cut it yep. uh, by a lot more than we have. So the 5p really is neither, neither here nor there. And it could well be the way that, that things are looking, depending on how sanctions go against Russia, we could be looking at £2 for a litre of petrol, £3 for a litre of diesel. Yeah, and does the government get the blame when these things happen? I think they probably do eventually. I mean, the whole cost of living crisis um, does actually fall on the government. Yes, we know there are external things. We know yeah. about Ukraine. We know about the Russian sanctions. That hasn't helped matters. But we've been heading in this direction, and what uh, Rishi Sunak hasn't done is properly tackle the fact that the cost of living crisis is a genuine crisis mm. and lower paid people are going to be in real trouble. And so the things he did today actually benefit all of this. So the way that he did the uh, national insurance thing, we mm. all get the 330, 30 pounds a year Yeah, but then extra. the more we earn, the more we pay it back, of course. But yeah. Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. in, in other yeah. taxation. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing is that it wasn't targeted. I mean, if he was going to keep the national insurance right, what he could have done is say, right, this is a separate tax. It's a, um, a health and social security levy, yeah. treat as a special tax, started at 30,000, which is average income. Now, Labour, of course, a united Labour Party, and you know, remarkable, they obviously think they've got half a chance next time round, and the hard left have gone quiet or been expunged. How good is Rachel Reeves at the dispatch box for Labour? Because that's very important, isn't it? Yeah, I thought she was quite good today. That um, uh, She was able to actually mix it with a bit of humour, her Alice in Wonderland jokes about um, about Rishi Sunak that that went down quite well. Um, she gave a straightforward analysis of where he'd gone wrong. He uh, she picked him up on a number of things. I mean, a key area I thought was missing from this, and obviously so did Rachel Reeves, um, was over military spending. That here we are dealing with Russia. One of the things that had been mooted was we would reverse the cuts in the yeah, army yeah. and save the jobs of nine thousand so, soldiers. Let me get this. Right. Right. The Labour Party now is the party oh, that defense. wants to raise military <laughs> spending, that wants to stop tax rises and is speaking up for business, apart from oil and gas companies. Yes, that's probably it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a sudden reversal from, from the, the previous uh, Labour Party. Yeah. There isn't much to choose between them, is there? 
Um, I think there probably is because I think we're in a different kind of world that um, we've been through the populist phase. So uh, we have, we've had populist leaders like Donald Trump in America, mm. Boris Johnson over here. I think now that people are looking for a competent leader and that's where Keir Starmer might actually score because he comes across as knowing what he's talking about and he comes across as competent. But in terms of policy... There are not huge ideological choices, are there, between the two parties as we face the next election? Well, I mean, the, the big problem is that Labour is not coming out with that many policies. Um, and we'll see an awful lot more over the coming year, but we haven't seen a great deal now. Um, and no, and I think that, the, that there have been events going on where you found the Labour Party in line with the government. Mm. Labour, Labour Party broadly supported jo uh, Boris Johnson over various COVID restrictions. They've always been behind him when they've been brought in. Yep. Um, they're square behind him as far as his dealings with Ukraine. So because politics has been so peculiar for the last uh, last two years, you've ended up with a Labour Party which has been uh, supporting a government much more um, often than they, yeah, than they perhaps well, are comfortable with. But those are events. I can't tell them apart. Nigel Nelson, thank you very much indeed for coming in <laughs> and joining us. And of course, a reminder to everybody, it was two years ago today that that first lockdown came in and we were told to start stay at home. Everyone thought it would have a catastrophic effect upon the British economy. Everyone thought actually that it would lead to high unemployment. But it's remarkable. Going into this, actually, the Chancellor's income, tax income is pretty good. It's projected to be pretty good. I'm guessing he held a bit back today for tax cuts down the line. But joining me to give us a bigger assessment, a better assessment of today's spring statement is Liam Halligan, our economics editor. Liam, the one penny tax cut in 2024 perhaps was the one thing that we didn't think was coming. Was there anything else in there that surprised you? Yeah, that 1p tax cut, there's a contradiction there because the Chancellor started his statement by saying there's you know, an unusually uh, large element of uncertainty in these economic forecasts. And of course, we saw the growth forecast for this year cut from 6% to less than 4%. We saw the inflation forecast rise from 4% this year to 7.4%. And yet he's absolutely certain he's going to cut taxes just before an election. I don't, I don't buy that. I thought it was disingenuous. But the big miss for me, and I thought this was a politically pretty cack-handed statement, I must say, and I've got a lot of respect for the Chancellor personally, but there was very little in this for hard-pressed families, particularly in those red wall seats the Tories need to win back, yeah. in the midst of the worst cost of living crisis, the Office of Budget Responsibility confirmed in its fine print since the early 1950s. Consider, Nigel, that benefits are going to go up by 3.1% in April as the fiscal year begins because they're linked to the inflation rate last autumn. That's the way we do things in the UK. You've got a 3.1% increase in benefits at a time when inflation is 7 or 8%, or if you're in a low-income, vulnerable household and you spend more disproportionately of your income on food and fuel, all the things that are going up quickly, yeah, yeah. inflation is well into double digits. And taxes are going up, aren't they? Because the allowances are going to be frozen. Corporation tax is going to be going up. I mean, you know, he's presented this, all of this. I mean, I find it extraordinary. I don't know how he's got the cheek. You know, my vision for a lower, a lower tax economy. And yet the fine print shows, and you'll be combing through it. I've been looking at it this afternoon after we did our 
budget special on GB News, our spring statement special, you can see tax as a percentage of GDP going up yes. over the next three yes. years from where it currently is, which is already at a 70 year high. So there's a lot of political sophistry in this, saying that you're a low tax chancellor pinning that claim on a tax cut that may not happen given all the uncertainty, while meanwhile taxes are rising. And then another thing is I don't think we're going to be seeing much more of sort of Rishi Sunak's flashy Instagram photos of expensive cashmere sweaters mm. and so on. At a time when the cost of living is rising so hard, so fast for ordinary households, I don't think the Chancellor really conveyed that he gets it. No, I, I, that was the one thing I thought. You know, this, this is going to be very serious, isn't it, for millions of people. Those bills are about to land. They're feeling the pinch already. Food stuff. I mean, we, we talk energy all the time, but yeah. food stuff's going up. On my On The Money show on GB News, Monday to Friday at 1, we have really focused on food security, not just energy security. Yeah. We've been doing that for months, right? We've been doing the cost of living yeah. crisis literally since the channel began last summer. And you and I have talked about it a lot on your show yeah. as well. The rest of the sort of political and media class is now catching up, but they don't understand the food shortage that is coming and the impact on wheat prices, grain prices, mm. uh, vegetable oils, potatoes. You know, they're not planting potatoes in Ukraine at the moment. <laughs> you know, we've, we've, we're not getting wheat yeah. exports from Russia, which is the biggest wheat exporter in the world for all kinds of reasons, however justified. And in many senses, they are completely justified, but it has a cost of living knock on. And I don't think the Chancellor's done anything today that will make ordinary households that no. are struggling feel any more secure tonight than they did well, this morning. Yeah, 5p on fuel duty. Oh, well, great. Fill up your car. You might save three and <laughs> well, a half quid. If you're lucky, you can't even buy a pint for three and a half quid. I, I made the point. You'd struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I should know. But I mean, I made the point. VAT is up 7p on a litre. Mm. So, I mean, well, he's not really giving us anything, is he? He isn't. And you meant you were talking to Nigel Nelson there uh, about Rachel Reeves. I thought she yeah. did. I thought she did pretty well today. She's a lot more credible than her predecessor, if you like, John McDonnell. Yeah. Uh, she's a former Bank of England economist. You know, there's a lot of sophistry there as well. She wants to scrap business rates, which a lot of small businesses hate paying because they've got to pay mm. them even if they make no money at all. That's 25 billion quid. She's not saying where that money is going to come from, but at least she's having that conversation which previous Labour administrations haven't had. So at a time when there are there is starting to be a credible alternative, I think Rishi has shown, with all respect, however clever he is, however intelligent he is, he lacks political feel and experience. Yeah, no, I get that. Liam, marks out of 10 for the <laughs> Chancellor's spring statement. I put you on the spot. What's, what is your number? Well, I think in, given, given the seriousness of where we are, it would have to be, you know, five to six, must try harder. OK, Liam Halligan, thank you very much indeed. So your reactions, I asked you to give marks out of 10 to the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, for his spring statement. Richard says three, all smoke and mirrors, nothing for the poor and no plan to resolve the cost of living crisis. Mel, Mel, you're a meanie. You say, can we do a minus? David says 5p out of one pound 80. Well, <laughs> yep. 
And that's the point I keep making, that actually the VAT has gone up more than the five pence reduction that we're being given. Stuart says, voting Labour next time, it can't be any worse. Mark says, about what he's given us, a big fat zero. You're a very negative bunch tonight. Now, I'm joined right now by Malcolm Grimston from Imperial College London. Environmental studies, very much your field. Uh, energy, energy, energy. I mean, it's all anyone's going to be talking about when these bills start to land. Gas prices in Europe today shot up. They were up 34% at one point today. Mm. Uh, Putin now demanding that if you buy Russian gas, you pay in rubles. A mad scramble uh, to buy gas. But I, th I think gas has settled about 20% higher today. Um, was there anything in the budget in terms of us producing our own gas or more of our own, uh, our own oil? The, I say budget, but the, the statement. I, I mean, it seemed to me that perhaps a few more wind farms are going to get built but, but there isn't really a change of strategy, is there? I think we're expecting a major statement on energy next week, and I think clearly there was there was a, an argument this is shouldn't preempt. Is that the one Boris Johnson that. told us we get last week? Uh, yes, and this is That's always the, the problem with these things. But it will come. I don't yes. think there's any doubt. There's been very serious discussions uh, because many of these things were happening before the Ukrainian uh, invasion. Power prices, and particularly the international gas price, was already going up. Yes. Nothing like we've seen yeah. over the last uh, uh, couple of uh, uh, months, sadly, but uh, or month or so. But it, this was all something which was a big wake-up call, rather like the old shock of the 1970s. From time to time, we get these times when we're shaken up to think, at that stage, being so dependent on oil from the OPEC countries, yep. was leaving us vulnerable to major changes. And that's what I think we were already seeing today, of course, massively accelerated by the, by the Ukrainian crisis. And nuclear. I mean, it seems that, that, that the Prime Minister now has the sort of convert's zeal for nuclear, but none of that's going to come on stream, is it, until, what, 2030? Well, there's Hinkley Point C, of course, which we expect to come online in 2026, yes, but 27. Bit, but others are closing but too. It, but indeed, that's right, yes. And, but by the end of this decade, we will uh, only have the single uh, size well B alongside uh, Hinkley C. So we do need to move on that. Many of us have been arguing we should have been doing that for many years. There is a real sea change towards nuclear, I think, going on. Yeah. The Belgians, for example, who had took a decision to phase out all their nuclear plants by 2025, have just gone back on that. And two of them have got uh, an extension to 20. 35. Germany remember, remains the one that's out of line, but France is talking about new new plants, and many, many other countries are as well. But as you say, you know, the best time to do this would have been 20 years yeah. ago. No, no, I mean, the second it, best time is now. Yeah, yeah. But, it is, it, but it is, we're talking, I mean, is it six, seven, eight years more? To get a it nuclear could be, plant. yes. If you've got Sizewell C, uh, for example, which is the next one we would build in the UK, if we can move all the kit over from Hinkley Point to Sizewell in a, in a timely fashion, mm -hmm. then all of the expertise is very, very fresh because they're building it at this moment. And you might hope that really pushing it, we could see a Sizewell C online 2028, 2029. That's really, really pushing it. But that's still a long time in the future. 2022 exactly. right now. Exactly. Now, we've said we're going to phase out the buying of oil from Russia by the end of this year. Uh, now we learn that at least 20%, and it could be as high as 40% of the diesel that gets put into the 18.9 million diesel cars is, of course, refined 
in Russia because they've all left here because it's too expensive to do it in this country. Are we facing a diesel crisis? Well, yes. And again, this is something we're already talking about moving out of diesels and diesel cars to be uh, made illegal by, or, or not new diesel cars to be phased out by 2030, if I remember correctly. This has pushed us further in that direction. We're already seeing a 10p differential between petrol yeah. and diesel at the pumps. One suspects that that will go further. The UK is actually not too dependent on either oil or gas from Russia. We only get about 5% of our imports. Most of our imports come from Norway. But of course, we are affected by any price changes that go on in the rest of Europe. Funny, isn't it? The government told us a few years ago we should all get diesel. It was better for the environment. So it does make one a little bit suspicious. Um, so you think this big statement comes fairly shortly. It'll be pro-nuclear what else can we expect to see? Well, the other interesting debate has been about windfall taxes on the oil and gas industry. Which Labour are pushing very hard. Indeed, yes, and which was noticeably absent, as I think everyone thought it would be today. Mm. But the quid pro quo for that, it says the oil and gas industry, as, as would normally be the case, a considerable amount of that money has to go into investment. We do have a significant reserve still in the North Sea. We don't want to, you know, climate change is, is genuinely a very serious threat, and we don't want to get ourselves locked into long term fossil fuels but there is an argument that says since well, we need gas when the wind isn't blowing <coughs> we might as well be making it ourselves rather than relying on other countries but if we to go for it. nuclear in a big way that gives us regular energy it's not intermittent energy gas of course is useful because you can turn it on and you can turn it off and that's why it's the backup for wind but if we go for nuclear in such a big way do we need to build a lot more wind turbines? Nuclear would certainly help. As you say, it is reliable, and so yes. you're not waiting for the wind to blow for you to get your uh, energy. We can integrate a certain amount of wind into a modern grid without it being an issue. But it's beginning to get to the point where there's quite large constraint payments. We pay them to switch off their thing. Because one thing's not always recognised with wind is it can be as big a problem when there's too much as when there's too little. Yeah, I've got to tell you, I'm not a great convert to wind. I, no, I, it's, it certainly has a part to play. And the UK actually has gone through a revolution where we, we are you know, in one of the best positions in the world because we have a, a nuclear plant, gas plants and renewables which can work together. I think those We're who are going to become the Saudi Arabia of wind was well, what yes, Boris Johnson indeed, told yes, us. Yes. Do you actually, finally Mark, I must ask you, do you actually think that Rishi Sunak or people in Westminster get how tough this is going to be for ordinary households. I think it's becoming increasingly difficult not to get that, and they will be hearing this maybe perhaps from the so-called red wall seats, uh, where uh, uh, incomes sometimes are not as high as they are in parts, say, of, of London, where we are now, um, that, that the, the real pain that people are facing is going to become clearer. The government can do very little about the international gas price, of course, so it has to be targeting help towards people who are in the most serious problems. Everyone says that to me, Malcolm, and yet the Americans are able to get gas to their factories and to their consumers at half the price. So, yeah, and of actually, course, if you're producing stuff domestically, you're producing it onshore, it's much cheaper than offshore. Surely there's a way we can get the price down. Yes, yeah, so it would involve us being a lot more, producing a lot bigger percentage. America is almost self-sufficient in gas and is self-sufficient in oil. Uh, and I mean, to be fair to them, they have huge areas of land where very few people live, where they can invest in fracking to a huge extent. Yeah. We are denser, densely populated with more of a political angle to that. But uh, for those who saw, uh, and indeed in the early Bush years, there was a big paper about how is America going to deal with the fact that we're going to be importing 60% of our oil? 
Well, the answer was unconventional oil at home, yeah. which has put America yeah. in a much stronger place, as of course France is because of its nuclear program, so the states are because of their uh, oil well, and gas produced at home. We'll see if Boris Johnson becomes a convert to that, I'm not so sure. Malcolm Grimston, thank you very much indeed for joining me. And of course, you know, most of the focus in the press tomorrow will be about households, it'll be about the 5p cut, it'll be about the raising by £3,000 of the national insurance threshold, uh, it'll be about the looming energy bills and whether the Chancellor gets it. But I do increasingly think that this government doesn't really get entrepreneurship, doesn't really understand it, doesn't really seem to believe in it, perhaps I'm being unfair. But what did today's statement do? What did it do for our growth prospects? What did it do for investment? What did it do for entrepreneurship? Well, one man who I'm hoping can answer all of those questions is Sir Martin Sorrell no no of no S4 Capital. I'll have a try. You do, please. The answer is not much, actually. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it's a spring statement, to be fair. It's not a budget. I mean, it gets called a budget in a way, or mini budget. But I don't think it was designed to that. I think postpone the evil day, because we have a lot more a lot more issues coming down the track. I mean, in six months' time or so, we'll have another energy cap breakthrough yep. in terms of pricing. We'll have more inflation. It'll probably peak at around 9% in some months, and it'll run for the year probably at about 7 7.5%, 8%. Growth will have has been checked from what six percent? The Chancellor was proudly saying we're the yeah. fastest growing yeah. economy well, that's, that, in Europe. Th those days that, are that's, that's gone. <laughs> debt, government yeah. debt is what 83 percent of GDP, uh, and right service costs of the debt are rising because interest rates are rising. Yeah. So a lot of issues. We have to see how the the war in Ukraine plays out. Hopefully, it'll come to a conclusion more rapidly, but it doesn't look that way at the moment. So a lot of things to be dealt with. And then he's given himself a lot of political wiggle room. I think this is more about politics than it is about what, what you were what talking about. Saving up the money for a pre-election giveaway. Well, you've got the, 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 really the 20p goes to 19p in yeah. April of 24. Yeah. So um, yeah. what's your bet on the election date? But oh, I would have thought that it looks increasingly likely to be the end of 23, because vote for us and we're going to, and we're going to cut your taxes. Well, then, then we'll have a budget, what, in October? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see a lot more of the issues we just talked about. Yeah. So I think it gives them political wiggle room. But to your, to your question, no, there's, there's nothing here. In fact, if anything, it goes the other way, because NIC contributions for employers... It's a tax on. It's a tax on jobs. Yeah, there's six. I mean, it's twelve. That's twelve billion that was the NIC was going to cost. You've given half of it back to employees. Fair enough. The other, and that was meant to go to the National Health Service. Whether it will or not, we'll see. The other six is a burden on employers. Now, full employment. We've got pretty full employment. I mean, much more than we thought was probably likely. But um, you know, I come out of today probably feeling a little bit more nervous about the UK economy than. Than before, and the forecasts for growth heading going ahead uh, are even lower. Are dismal. Yeah. Well, to be fair, look at global growth. I mean, this year before the the war, we were talking about global growth of what four to five percent. Last year it was five to six. This is nominal. Mm. Uh, next year it was at two to three, and the year after probably about one and a half to two. So it's going to come down anyway because of the post-pandemic fiscal monetary stimuli have all been withdrawn. So I think that was in the calculus for anybody running a business. 
but I think it'll be a bit more severe given what we've seen. But there are things, aren't there, and I accept it's not the full budget, but there are things, aren't there, that government can do to help business. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but they're much more fundamental, Nigel. I mean, post-Brexit, I mean, I was recalling Harold Macmillan's phrase about, you know, events, dear boy, events. Mm. You, you've had the, the pandemic. Uh, you've had, you, well, you had Brexit, you had pandemic, and you've now got the war in Ukraine. So events really have overwhelmed them. And all of the things that we had to do post-Brexit, you know, all the apple pie and motherhood, but the fundamental things around education, around infrastructure, both hard and soft, all these things have really been sidelined by the events and the government, for understandable reasons, to be fair, have really focused on them. From a political point of view, picking up what you said earlier yeah. on the program, the, 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 the two parties, the main parties, are indistinguishable. Oh, that's what I, I know. There's a wonderful graph today about <laughs> tax rates under prime ministers, tax rates under Mrs. Thatcher, were, you know, the, 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 the biggest cuts. Mm. Who's the prime minister who's presided over the highest increases? Boris Johnson, more than Blair and more than Wilson, which yeah, is remarkable. Yeah, we're almost remarkable. back to sort of the Atlee days, aren't we? Well, yeah. it's sort of 70 years, I think. Yeah, yeah that's right. Now, and the other point about, the other real point is that household, real household income is going to be down by 2 or 3%, which is the, the fastest rate of decline that we've had for 70 years. So dispos uh, disposable, income, years. disposable income is going to be a real problem, isn't and it? And then we'll have, we, we have pay increases in an inflation environment of 7%. Mm. Government is recommending what teachers get 3%. So you're going to start to see considerable friction in the public sector. Oh, yeah. That spills over into the private sector. So all of these issues are going to play out, I think, over the summer and into the autumn. Mm. And then we'll have to see what the budget does with it. So, Sir Martin Sorrell, marks out of 10 for Rishi Sunak's performance Well, today. I heard the question. Well, I, I came out with a five, uh, but maybe on the basis... I'm a little bit depressed by this conversation. Maybe four. A four? There we are. <laughs> You're joining me on the four, Sir Martin Sorrell. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very indeed. much indeed Thank for joining you. me. A little bit more from you at home. Charlie says he gets zero points. Poor get poorer, rich get richer. We'll see. Andrew says, 0 out of 10, absolute joke. I mean, there's, there must be some Rishi fans out there somewhere. Pathetically inadequate. Presentation professional, 8.5. Content, 7.5. It's placed us firmly back on course. Well, there we are. There's a conservative activist who thinks it was really very, very good. And I had to find somebody, otherwise I'd have been accused of not giving balance. But I think Sir Martin, myself, I think all of us really, uh, all of the guests that have appeared so far have felt a little disappointed by today. So that really does put our next guest in a moment after the break on Talking Pints. It puts him in a bit of a hot seat. It's time for Talking Pines, live here in Westminster. And I'm joined by the Member of Parliament for Thirsk and Moulton for the Conservative Party, Kevin Hollingrake. Kevin, welcome to Talking Cheers. Pines. Very good to see nice you. Nice to see you, Nigel. Now, I'm pleased to say, unlike many, not just in your party, but many that I've criticised over my years in, involved with politics, you actually had a business life before yeah. you even got involved in politics at all. Yeah, I did. Uh, 30 years actually in business and very small business building up to a larger business uh, became a national business. So I love that life and I still miss it, to be honest. It's, um, I think most members of parliament bring something 
to Parliament from their past lives. And, and I, you know, it does is something I'm able to talk on probably more confidently yeah. um, due to that business experience. And, and um, <coughs> really, I, I spend most of my time in Parliament trying to represent the interests of SMEs, which I think are truly the lifeblood of the economy. Yeah, no, I do too. And I felt that in the European Parliament. You know, I'd run mm. my own company for nine years. I'd worked for bigger firms before that. I felt it gave me an advantage. Mm. What, what do the Oxbridge set bring to politics that comes straight in from their university degrees, into research offices, MPs in their late 20s. What do they bring? Well, it'll bring something. But I well, was, I, I'm I, asking <laughs> you, what is it? <laughs> well, there some very bright people, of course. Oh, but, right. Um, I think we're member, members of parliament, and there aren't that many people who have come straight in from doing absolutely nothing. Um, but I think more in the officials you see that, people who haven't had some real world experience. And um, so I think it's good, I say to any per young person thinking of entering politics, go and do something else first. Get experience, it could be mm. medicine, it could be the military, it could be business, whatever else. But get some real world experience because the world looks very differently, uh, very different when you have. So, um, so they can bring stuff and the, uh, the knowledge of the system and how to how to make the system work. You're being so diplomatic. I know you don't well, mean it, but well, so, uh, it, so, so for you, it, it was a state agency, wasn't it? It was. Yes. So, is it the sort of two least popular professions in the world? Yes. The politicians and estate agents. Yes, I think I'm the only person who's entered politics and improved my social standing. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was an interesting. It gave me a thick skin, which you need in politics as well. Of and course. what made you go into politics? I was wanted to, you know, as a as a young teenager. Dad was a businessman, farmer, milkman, and uh, mum was a social worker, rehabilitated offenders, um, found jobs and places to live. And uh, we used to talk about, uh, my sister, a bit older than me, was studying politics at Manchester Uni when I was about 12 or 13, so she'd always have some really radical ideas about how the world should be run. Uh, lots of Marxist ideas and stuff like that, which she doesn't subscribe to anymore. Um, so I, I found it very interesting, and we used to debate this stuff properly around the dining room yeah. table. Like you do, like yeah, some yeah. families so, do. So yeah, politics very much in the blood. Yeah. Now, since 2019, you know, as a Yorkshireman representing a seat quite a long way up, there weren't many Conservatives from the north of England there. It must have been relatively lonely. And since 2019, there's quite a lot of you, isn't there? Yes, I mean, it's great to see. Seats like Darlington, Peter Gibson, or Deanna Davidson, Bishop Auckland, uh, uh, Paul Howells, Sedgefield. Winning seats like that was... A really historic moment, and and it wasn't just the fact we won them. It was the it was the the welcome we were receiving on those doorsteps in those areas. You could see the world had changed, the demographics had changed, and it, clearly it was Boris, it was Brexit, it was yeah. um, it, it was uh, Jeremy Corbyn had a big impact. But there is there's something more fundamental than that. So I think we need to keep we can't take those seats for granted. But the we want to be looking to keep the red wall blue for many well, decades Well, I know, that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's right, I think um, we can, though. That's what you want to do, but I'm just wondering. We've got a cost of living crisis. I mean, it's, it's, been, with us, it's been with us already for a few months. Yep. But those bills are going to land, aren't they? Those yep. bills are going to land in just a few weeks' time. Yep. I was talking earlier about the fact that gas prices are even higher. Yep. Again, today. Yep. Now, I know you're one that does believe, as I believe very strongly, that we should be self-sufficient in energy. We don't. Yes, and many things, food production, all kinds of things. We should be setting targets for self-sufficiency. I mean, these are tough times. There's no doubt about it. Um, the first thing we've got to accept, though, these are not domestic issues. Whichever party was in power, these, these situ this situation would be with us right now. Cost of living, 
energy supply chains, driving prices, second round effects in terms of uh, um, wage inflation, all this stuff will feed through to inflation. The Bank of England seems confident it'll get back under control within a couple of years. The I'm less confident. Of, the Bank of England <laughs> didn't think it was going to happen. And yeah, your party right. leader, as recently as last October, was saying, don't worry about inflation. They well, all got it wrong. Well, who gets everything right? No, no, I, sure. Who gets everything right? Sure. And, um, and I thought it was the received wisdom at the time. Bank of England were very clear, and others, other commentators were saying, well, this will top out 4 or 5% and drop back to 2% within a year or two. That's probably not going to happen. No. So internationally, of course, the US has got higher inflation than the UK. Germany's got higher inflation than the UK. The first thing you've got to have is a strong economy. And the great uh, economic news we have is unemployment is incredibly low, 3.9%, below 4%, despite the, the crisis of COVID. It's, it's, been big, it, I mean, it's been a big surprise. It has. Big surprise. A lot of that is about management of the economy. I'm not here to just uh, <laughs> but blindly one thing, but one support thing, the government. But, but one thing, Kevin, one thing government can do is decide its own energy policy. We've got these vast gas reserves yep. in Lancashire, and through across into Yorkshire have. as well. I mean, they're really substantial. Yep. You've, you've argued strongly that we should be going for, whether yep. it's fracking or other yep. methods of gas yep, extraction. That's right. Absolutely. How much stick and abuse have you taken for that Oh, position? an awful lot. I know. Uh, so my constituency is, is beautiful rural yeah. North Yorkshire. 85% yeah. of it is covered by shale gas exploration licences, and it was when I first came into, poli into Parliament. Went to Pennsylvania, look at it out there. Could this be done in a way that is uh, consistent with that beautiful area of North Yorkshire? Yes, it could, but it is very, very slow. You've got to roll, this stuff rolls out. You have, have to build a well pad, drill 20 wells, and then the next well pad, the next well pad, and we've had the seismicity issues. So it would be 10, 15 years before you're getting decent gas out of the ground. That's not to say you shouldn't start today. Well, others say it could be a year. I don't see that. I mean, we had a site, uh, the first site in the UK was due to be fracked, Kirby and Mispertin in my constituency. The planning consent took two years. Yeah. It, it is very but it, but slow. But Boris Johnson can change the laws on planning consent to build onshore wind farms or nuclear power stations, he can do it for okay. this too. Okay, that's possible. Two more issues. A, the seismicity that was caused in the two examples we've had of fracking in the UK, because, and the energy experts we saw before the Treasury Select Committee quite recently said the geology, which we know the geology is much more and difficult mistakes than were the made, US. weren't they? Yes, but I think there are some logistical problems, some really geological problems that are going to be difficult to overcome. Um, and of course, politics does come into this. You've got, you know, this is hugely controversial. And it's okay for me, I've got a 25,000 majority to take a bullish line on something. But if you're sat on a one or 2,000 majority, you've got fracking in your patch. You've got to look at the political realities of it. And, and, and the lobby against it, yep. and, and we're increasingly... Massive being told that perhaps Russia was playing a bit of a role in this a few years ago. Yes, I, I understand that. Uh, and, and, yeah, and the abuse you take for it is extraordinary. Mm, yep. Treasury Select Committee, yep. you're there, which as a businessman I'm pleased yep. that you're there. So come on then, what did you make of the spring statement? Just before that, just in terms of gas, let me go, go back. On. North Sea, hit the North Sea with everything we've got. The banks at the moment, which is a sector you're, you know very, uh, very well, the, the, the pulling finance 
from gas exploration on the basis of their ESG objectives, environmental sustainability goals. It is complete nonsense. I know. We need that gas. We've got to put forward. You and I agree. We've got to be yeah, sensible. Okay. No, we're okay. on that. Absolutely. And renewables. Over a pint, we've agreed on yes. that. Okay. What yeah, about okay. the statement? Which I, I have to say, I thought was a little bit disappointing. Sir Martin Sorrell, who you know is a good judge and inclined to want uh, to believe the best of it, he's disappointed. How, okay. did, you, how did you feel? I thought it was excellent. I, I could. I mean, I was listening. I'm, I've always been yes, willing to criticise the, the government. Party line, no, no, that's rubbish. Isn't it? I'm a backbencher. What have I got to lose? I can say anything I want. I vote against the government uh, quite not, not all the time, but now and again. I mean, I looked at it. I mean, what do you do? Uh, who are you going to tax to to compensate other taxpayers for the cost of living crisis? It is an incredibly difficult issue. What he set out is what he calls his tax plan, this new tax plan, which is cutting taxes. Cutting no, taxes no, 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 on no, national insurance. I'm sorry, I'm okay. sorry, I'm sorry. Taxes are going up. There are tax rises okay. in the pipeline. And for him to pretend that he is somehow the low tax guy when he's putting taxes up, I mean, it, it's nonsense. Well, OK, so you're going to spend another £12 billion a year on the health service. How are you going to do that? Are you, are we, Labour's view, just oh, well, stick it on the desk? That's debt? fine. Then stop okay. telling us you're a low tax guy. Well, what he said is the he's going to prioritise um, health and social care to, to cut the backlog yep. of the NHS problems and to properly fund social care for the first time ever in this country, in my knowledge. In my knowledge. Well, how are you going to do it? And what, what he said, if we're going to do that, we're going to pay for it. That's one thing. So he's, he, he has set aside ring fence, if you like, that tax for that purpose. We've never had hypothecation of taxes, well, have we? This it's, is what we're doing now. It's all a nonsense. Uh, okay, it's all a nonsense. Well, we'll see if it is or not. And it has been in the past. You're quite right economically. But you but think he's a good chancellor? Uh, I think it's fantastic. Fantastic. So I think, OK, set that to one side, and that was something we introduced and legislated for last year. But what he's doing now is trying to, he's trying to cut taxes. There's no doubt about it. National insurance going up to 12,500, the threshold 12,500, £230. Good, and it harmonises with income tax. That all makes perfect Fuel sense. Fuel duty, of course. 7p. Income tax. So VAT Fire. on a litre has gone up 7p. When he's giving us a 5p cut, and we're told to be happy. Wait, it's 7p because of market forces. What, yeah. You're a yeah. free yeah, marketeer. Yeah, 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 what can yeah, you do yeah, yeah, about yeah. market yeah, all I'm saying is, you know, the Irish have cut by 17p. All right, other countries in, in uh, you know, near neighbours in Europe have cut by 10, 12. It's not a very big cut, is it? Well, I doubt they've increased the threshold for national insurance, which is on top of that. That's 330 pounds a year. That's a big difference. Have they increased national living wage? That's a thousand pounds a year for somebody who works full time yep. national living wage. Yep. This is what we've got to try and do, is make work pay. Stop thinking the taxpayer, keep going back to the taxpayer and saying, you're going to have to fund this. Make work pay. Yes, put some money in for the vulnerable households, the billion pounds for the household support fund. That will help the most vulnerable households. But make work pay, national living wage, you, uh, you, you, know, credit you and I both know, yeah. you and I both know that, that those families in the middle, that big chunk of people in the middle, are, you know, their, their disposable income is going down quite significantly. Right. I agree with you. Government doesn't. It isn't, it isn't all government's fault. I get that totally. A final thought, Kevin, on today and on this government. You know, entrepreneurship, uh, the party of small business. Uh, the opportunities that Brexit potentially puts on, you know, and the, there are obviously wins and losses when you make a, fun, a fundamental change. But actually, there's no connection with entrepreneurship on that front bench, is there? Well, I mean, I, I th Rishi clearly had a, a business background. But not uh, as an entrepreneur, working with Goldman no, okay. Sachs. It's no, very, it's very okay. different. Well, 
there are some voices in Parliament that have entrepreneurial backgrounds, and uh, and I'm glad I have had, a, had that kind of background. Yeah. And I think we we want to encourage more business people to come into <coughs> Parliament. So um, most business people who don't, of course, say, "Well, I've got too many things that." Might, that people might find out about me from the past yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a pay cut. Uh, uh, it's a pay cut. And it's so frustrating. And you, in business, you're used to getting things done pretty quickly. But I used to, uh, the message should go out. We want business people to come into politics. I think if you look at some of the things we get wrong, it's usually about implementation. It's, the policies can be quite good, but imp implementation mm. is not always that good. Implementation is far more important than changing the policy all the time or legislation. <laughs> Let's get more people in Parliament who know how to get things done. That's absolutely vital. Okay. I think that's what uh, people who have been entrepreneurs can help with. Kevin, absolute pleasure having you on pleasure Talking Pines yes. for being a very good sport. <laughs> Thanks very much. Cheers. Okay. Okay, now it's time for Barrage the Farage. I've kept Kevin here because if I get a question that's too difficult to answer, he's going to be the one that gets it. So let's have a go. Fraser asks, why couldn't Rishi tackle the cost of living crisis today sufficiently rather than token gestures? Well, I guess the answer is that if he'd given massive cuts, you know, huge cuts on fuel duty, that just would have put the government deeper in debt. So it's not an easy thing to do. Well, uh, five billion, I think, the fuel duty, six billion was national insurance threshold change. <clears throat> Big money. Yeah. Another asks, which politician is most likely to be the last man or woman standing at the bar? Well, from what I hear, there were quite a lot of members of Parliament out in a certain night spot in Westminster till about two or three o'clock this morning. I don't think Kevin was one of them. No, no, no. I was. I, 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 I had an early night last night, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for this, Nigel. <laughs> and I'm not going to grass anybody up, I promise. <laughs> Robbie asks, do you think Putin's power base is crumbling? It's really tough to judge. We are seeing some resignations. We've mm. seen some generals being sacked. I don't think any of us quite know the extent to which he's cocooned inside that place, do we, and away from people. No, it's, it's, it's difficult to see that, but his power base really is not just domestically, is it? We need China to help more. We need China they've to got be a big that. role here if absolutely. they want, if they and want India, to use and others, it. Absolutely, it's critical. Yeah, what do you make of India abstaining in that vote? Really disappointed, and of course they're buying lots of Russian oil and gas. Yeah. So... Um, We've all got to work together on this internationally. It's absolutely so important that we present a united front. Putin's got no place to hide. He has to come to the table. You'd like to think that his power base was crumbling. You'd also like to think that uh, younger voters in Russia are absolutely appalled that they can't get their McDonald's or Netflix or whatever it is. You've also got to think that a lot of the rich and powerful are having their toys taken from them. They may not be very happy either. But it's really difficult to judge what's going on inside that building. Let's keep going. Anthony asks, would Britain be wise to follow the USA's lead and reclassify cannabis and receive the tax revenue? Do you know, I've got to tell you, Anthony, I've always found this and I was first elected to the European Parliament in 1999. This question comes back again and again. I find it one of the most difficult ones to deal with. It's perfectly clear that prohibition isn't working. I am tempted. If ever there was a time for a Royal Commission to genuinely examine countries that have decriminalised to see what the effect is, right. I believe it's on this. I'm open-minded, Kevin. I, I sense you feel the same yeah, way. Yeah, I do. And I think the first thing you should look when you're trying to find a solution is try and find somebody else who's fixed it. Yeah. Now, Portugal have done some stuff. The US has so done some stuff. So let's examine it. Let's go look at it. I agree. Absolutely. Right, we've got 30 seconds left. The final question.
question. Alex asks, Scotch egg or sausage roll? I love Scotch eggs. Which is it for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. Scotch eggs. <laughs> Scotch all eggs all round. Absolutely. Well, that's the end of the programme. I will be back in the normal studio tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock. Across England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. This is GB News.